That was sweet. Now I'm excited to just introduce our guest speaker. She's been with us a couple times um, before, and she is the head of church multiplication for the Wesleyan region. And I know you guys are going to be blessed with what she has to say. She is a fiery woman of God. Her name is Danielle Freed. Come on up. I like the word fiery. I guess I'm not usually called fiery, but I'd like to be more fiery, probably. Um, Super glad to be here with you guys. Have been here a couple times with you all. Love, love, love this church. I've known about this church since the very beginning because our friend Chad McCollum was the founding pastor of this church. And so it's really fun to be a part of a church family that, you know, God put a vision in someone's heart so many years ago, and it's just thriving. It's super, super fun to be with you all. It is Pastor Appreciation Month, and you guys have an awesome staff here and an awesome pastor. And Pastor John is on an adventure in Guatemala, from what I understand. But I want to challenge you just to make sure you do take time to love and appreciate your pastors and your staff this month all year, but this is just a special time to really show them that love and appreciation. My husband, John, and I have been pastors for about 20 years, and honestly, like, I still remember things that people have written to us in cards, little tiny gifts. It's not the biggest gifts that matter. It's really often just your words and just a genuine thank you of the way that God has used them in your life. So make sure you take time to do that. However you want to do that, make sure you love and appreciate your pastors this month. So we are talking about the, good, the gospel and the good news for who, and I don't know how you feel about the game last night, if that was good news or bad news for you. Um, unfortunately, it sounds like at the end of the game, it turned to bad news for everybody, so that's kind of a bummer. Uh, I don't actually watch the news, honestly, um, because I don't like all the bad news. And so today, we're going to talk about my favorite topic, which is good news. But I have a question for you all, and the question is... When somebody says, I have good news and I have bad news, what do you want to hear first? What do you want to hear first? Oh, we got one good. Everybody else is bad. That's actually kind of exactly how they say it plays out statistically. But what's fascinating is we almost all say, hit me with the bad, leave me with the good. But do you know they've studied the person giving the bad news and the good news? What do you think they want to give first? The good news. Isn't that fascinating that what we want to receive is the opposite of what they want to give? Probably why all of those interactions are always awkward, you know, because you're like, what's it going to be? And they're like, I got to tell you this thing. And so today, we don't need to focus on the bad news. We get to focus on the good news. So I know you're excited about that. I have a little picture of my family just because they're cute, but they're also here in the room in the very back. This is my husband, John, my son, Dean, and my daughter, Dayana. And we are entering a new season in our life. Today, our topic is the gospel, or the good news, for the generations. And so we're going to talk about every age group. And in this room, it looks like a lot of age groups are currently represented here, which is awesome. The little, little ones over here. Are there any babies in here? I thought I heard a baby. Maybe that baby left. I like it when the babies stay in the room. Maybe you're at home online watching with a baby. We'll count that baby. Uh, But the generations is what we're discussing. And I've been a children's pastor and a youth pastor for about 10 years. And then we started a church for the next 10 of our life. And now I'm in a new phase as a mom and a parent of parenting a now official 13-year-old. So I've hit the teenage mom life and a 10-year-old who acts 13. So, you know, I'm pretty well uh, getting into this teenage parent life. And as we become teenagers in our house, we've recognized that all of us need some help with centering our hearts on Jesus and making good choices. And so Dean gave me permission to share this story. I bought the kids What Would Jesus Do bracelets to start this school year. I thought, you know what? We could all use a reminder 
to make good choices. And when we do have a decision to make or an action that we're thinking about doing, let's actually consider what would Jesus do? So they've been wearing their bracelets. And every morning I helped Dean put his on. And he even said to me, you know, mom, the other day I was thinking about shoving this kid. And then I saw my bracelet and I decided not to shove him. I'm like, the bracelet works. This is really great. We should all be wearing these. And a few days later, we were traveling to Indiana on our fall break. And because they're getting taller and growing, um, they were having a really hard time getting comfortable in the car. It was way past bedtime. We decided to leave late at night and thought, oh, they'll just sleep in the car. Well, the argument became, where do I put my legs? And they could not get their legs comfortable. They were trying to get them up between the front two seats, and it was getting really dramatic and kicking and yelling, and I was yelling, and then I was yelling more, and then I was really yelling. I have like three levels of yelling, and I kind of looked in the back seat and was just like giving it to them, and Dean really challenged me. He takes his bracelet. He's like, Mom, what would Jesus do? And I was like, probably not this. And so it was really, really helpful. Dean was really, really leading his mother very well. But I think as we think of this generation, those are really good questions to ask. What would Jesus do? What kind of example are we being? How are we leading all the generations through this current new reality that we're all living in? When we think about good news and bad news, the news as a whole is pretty bad, right? Like, they just dramatize a lot of things. Like, I've even tried to pretend to talk like a news person talks in the way they emphasize things and, like, make it so, so overly intense. I can't even do it, and I'm a really dramatic person. Like, they've been really well trained to, like, make you hang on every word, and they take these breaks, and then they talk in this deeper voice, and you're like, oh, my gosh. In fact, we had a doctor tell us once when our kiddos were little and dealing with some anxiety, they said a contributing factor to anxiety can just be news in the background, that little kids can even pick up anxiousness from the news on television in the background, turn it off. I feel the same way. Like, I barely watch anything because it's so stressful. But every once in a while, you have the good news. And I know once in a blue moon, like, especially in Christian radio, they're like, we have the good news. You're like, thank you, finally. I heard this beautiful story of good news. Maybe you've seen this. There's some different things that have been out on social media. This is some really creative idea that's happening around the world, and it has to do with the multiple generations. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's really, really fascinating. It's daycares and preschools that are being built inside of nursing homes. So I have this picture. It's really fast. A few pictures. It's really fascinating. They've done this in different countries around the entire globe. It started... 30, 40 years ago, some people were trying this, and what was happening is at the end of our life in an assisted living or in a nursing home, it's like, this is where you go to die. Like, there's no life here, everything's sad, everything's dark, plan your funeral, say goodbye, like this dark, dark place. Well, when they put these preschools into the nursing home, they literally do classes together, they paint together, they do puzzles, they do games, whenever like there's music class or activities, they even do cooking classes together, like really simple things like just make a peanut butter and jelly and the older people get to help these little toddlers make these PBJs and whatever. The older generation comes to life. Like, they even have this place in one of these places where there's just a window where if you're not in class or not interacting, they have, like, a little bar right here. If you're in your wheelchair, you can pull up just to look at the little kids. And they're recognizing what this does for this older generation is seeing life in the place that typically is seen as death. I think it's so adorable, so beautiful, so fun. I'm praying that the pandemic hasn't ruined this concept. You know, I'm sure for a while it was on quite a hiatus. But I think it's beautiful and really, truly They've proven that adults are happier, they talk more, they smile more, even when they're not with the kids. Like, it changes their demeanor across the board. I think the same should be true in the church. 
I think that we should have baby screaming. I think we should have to have two services so we can fit kids in these classrooms. I think we should, you know, hear the fun that they're having, and church should be a place that's multi-generational and making sure our kids have a place because I know what they do for us. You know, sometimes kiddos would come up and sing on the stage in church, and everybody just wants them to mess up because it just brings you joy. Like, they're so cute. But the crazier they are, the more fun it is. And honestly, like, I think of, I have a friend, her, she would bring, she was a single mom, she'd bring her kiddos to church, and her daughter was just really having a hard time in this more traditional church. And so she took her out of church. Now, she learned the hard way. She probably shouldn't have taken her out, because as she walked down the long center aisle, her three-year-old was screaming, I hate church! I hate church! We don't ever want that to be true. You know, we want kiddos to be comfortable. My kids have papers they're drawing on, like just knowing that they have a place within this church. Today, we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull them up. If it's on your phone, that's great. I would love for you to pull this up and just look at this scripture with me. And we're going to talk about who really is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and talk about our children and talk about this next generation, but really at the same time looking at every generation because we're not all necessarily kids in this room. And so how do we recognize the beauty of the good news for every generation? In Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start with verse 1. The disciples are sitting around and they're asking Jesus kind of a hard question, okay? So they've been called out. They have this special job to be Jesus' chosen 12. They're kind of thinking they're kind of a big deal. And they're starting to wonder, like, we feel pretty special. We feel pretty cool. But, like, when we get to heaven and in your kingdom, like, who's really going to be the top dogs? We're just curious. So verse 1, they say, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like, who's the top dog? Who gets the highest rank? And immediately in verse 2, Jesus calls a little child to come sit with them. And he puts the child right around them. Like I just imagine they're having this like macho manly conversation. And Jesus is like, just a second. You little guy, come over here. (laughs) We're going to teach these big guys a lesson. And he pulls this little child over. And he says, truly I tell you, unless you all change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not really about who's the top dog anymore. It's like, you're not even going to get there. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such, such child in my name welcomes me. He takes their question and he says, you guys just need to start over. Like, you've got this all wrong. We need to go back to square one. You're not even going to get to look at my kingdom, let alone go in unless you change your heart. So in verse 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for that person to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is starting to sound like the mafia, okay? He's like, actually, if you really screw this up, we're going to take this millstone. A millstone weighs about 300 pounds, tie it around your neck, and you're just going to be drowned. Super intense, right? Like, they ask this somewhat simple question, kind of arrogant thing, and it turns really, really dark really, really fast because he's pretty serious about this. Verse 7, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. 
And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Jesus is saying, I would much rather you just die than really mess up life for these little kiddos. He's saying, do not destroy this opportunity, this faith that these children have in me. Get over yourselves and really consider these children. I think in these scriptures, Jesus is giving us a picture of how the church really can live together. That it's really not about these big, tough, macho guys and having their place and figuring out where they belong. It's really about all of us checking our heart and recognizing sometimes we get a little mixed up. Sometimes we get a little confused and our priorities are out of alignment. Maybe it's a problem of sin within a community. So back to verse 1. They said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They want to know who's going to have this top position, who's going to get honor, who's going to get recognition. I would call this a childish question. So ironically, they ask a childish question, kind of a silly, arrogant, obnoxious question to Jesus. He's probably like, oh, we got a long way to go with these guys, right? Like, this is really the question they're asking me. They're being childish. Like, it's kind of a dumb thing to even worry about. In verse 2, Jesus calls this little child over, uses this child as an object lesson. And in verse 3, he says, unless you change and go the other direction and become childlike, you will never enter the kingdom. It doesn't matter where you're going to be ranked. You don't even get to come. I think when we look at this, there's a difference between a childish question and a childlike attitude. Childish is maybe you're being very selfish or somewhat self-centered. That question was very self-centered, all about us and me and where do I fit. Children can be really aggressive. (laughs) Like we have a lot of fights in our neighborhood and shoving and yelling and all these things that happen. The childish behavior can be really, really aggressive, especially little toddlers with their toys, right? Or maybe they're just cruel, like the things that they say or the lack of a filter, right? That's being childish. But what Jesus is saying is, I want you to actually be childlike. How's that different? I have this picture to kind of give us a picture of what it looks like, in my opinion, to be childlike. Being childlike is being filled with awe and wonder, being curious and inquisitive, being passionate and creative, being joyful and innocent, and kind of like, you know, her picture just makes me think like the sky's the limit. Like there's no boundaries. I don't have fear. I don't have like a belief that I could never be an astronaut and go to the moon or whatever she's thinking in that moment that I could picture this in my imagination. It's very different than childish. The childish lifestyle is very immature, but the childlike life is very humble. Jesus is basically saying not to just be playful, but to recognize the status of kids in his kingdom. I said last service, and I still think it's true. Like, I really honestly think the most important people in this building are on the other side of this wall. Like, that is really where life is happening. This is the opportunity we get to really develop these kiddos. Later in life, we're just playing catch up, right? But right now is the time to get into their hearts, into their lives. We know that the majority of people find Jesus before the age of 12 or right around that area. And so pouring our time and our energy into these kiddos is extremely valuable. Jesus says in verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Those who are humble. He's basically saying greatness might be, you know, seen in what's macho or capable or powerful or persuasive. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. 
The greatest is really this person who will humble themselves like a little child. I think the world of God and this current world that we live in have two completely different viewpoints on life. I think that our value systems are very, very different. And I think about, you know, my kiddos growing up in 2022. And I know every generation says this about the generation that's coming after them about their kids, like, oh, life is so different. They're just growing up so different, and we worry about them. And I know that it's true. It's always different, right? But I think about my grandma, my great-grandma, like, they said the same things about their kids, and we all kind of made it, right? We're alive. We're still kicking. But I also think it's an important thing to just consider, like, what responsibility do we have for this generation right here, right now? I think Matthew 18 really helps us to recognize what it takes to reach this generation. I have a picture of the current generations that are all kind of alive and kind of their nicknames, these social generations. There are a lot of um, like jokes about the different generations. Of course, I feel like millennials have really been given the, you know, the really raw end of that deal. There's a lot of bad jokes about millennials. Um, I'll kind of give you these age breakdowns. The traditionalists are the people born somewhere in the early 1900s to about 1945. The boomers, which is the majority of the population actually, were born between 46 and 64. The Gen Xers were born between 65 and 80. The millennials, or the Gen Y in this picture, was born between 81 and 96. Gen Z, 97 to about 2010 or 2015, they're still deciding where that generational line ended. And then the new generation, the current generation, the little ones, they're kind of calling Gen Alpha. Just so you know, I am probably technically Gen X, but I identify as a millennial, so that's where I land on this spectrum. And that's a whole other story because of kind of where I landed right on that birth order of my family and not having older siblings to impact me. I very much immediately became a youth pastor, so I've always kind of leaned toward the millennial life. These, these different generations right now have a lot of opinions of one another. There's three of those generations, at least, that are working together in a lot of our workplaces. So maybe you're looking at the people you work with day in and day out, and you probably see two or three different generations in your workplace. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of articles online about how these different generations work with each other, all the critiques they have of one another. They're talking about their music. They're talking about this other generation is you know, closing this door behind us when it relates to political things, maybe social security or even climate change. They make fun of each other's music. Recently, I've been a little stressed out because apparently there's a generation of people judging me for my side part in my hair. I've been told that it's supposed to be in the middle, and I tried it, and I just couldn't do it, and I had to go back, and so now I'm old, but it is what it is. There are a lot of these critiques and all of these divisions within our generations, but I really want us to consider that for the gospel and the good news. We should not have those, gener those generational gaps and divisions, especially in the church. If anywhere, this is where we should be coming together and being closer and understanding and loving and having patience for one another. Jesus said in verse 5, whoever welcomes these kids in my name welcomes me. And that means being hospitable, hospitality, showing them honor, showing them love. Jesus is giving us a great model of how do we live this out. St. Benedict said, we welcome each other as one would welcome Christ. Do you welcome different generations? Do you welcome people that are different than you with open arms, with hospitality, and as Jesus would welcome them? 
think about your family. We're coming up on the holidays, and we were just talking about the chaos of all the generations being in the same house. I know we hit a, a point in my family's life where my grandma was like, there's too many of them, and they're too loud. We can't have this at my house anymore. There's way too much chaos here. And so we had to start renting out a church because there's more space for all the kiddos to run and scream and do whatever they do. But there's something so beautiful about when those generations are together, playing cards with grandma and great-grandma and a whole group of people just playing a game and connecting. I feel like the same can be true within the church. I think about my grandma, the same one that was stressed out about the big party, and she was the music leader at her church growing up. And so my, she would play the piano, my grandpa would lead the songs, and way back in the day, they would do hymns, and they would also do southern gospel. My grandpa even had a little traveling gospel quartet, and they would go to different churches and sing. And that was just like how they worshiped. It's how they connected with God. They love, love, love their hymns and their music. And then a group of my family kind of moved to a different place, and we started a brand new church in my hometown. And I remember thinking it was going to be a modern church. There's going to be drums and guitar, and it was going to be a lot different than grandma's hymns or her southern gospel. And I just didn't know. I mean, I was like 18, 19, like, how's this going to go for grandma? Well, grandma would show up to this, you know, kind of modern church, and she would still have on her pantyhose and her high heels and her very long, fancy dress and her permed hair, all perfect, you know. And I thought she's probably going to plug her ears or wear earplugs or something. And I just had this really distinct memory of her recognizing this church isn't about her. This church is about the people that we're reaching, and it's about this younger generation. And there used to be this older song called, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. And there used to be this thing, for those of you younger than me, called Raising the Roof. Okay? This is the thing. And it was a kind of a fast, upbeat song. And I just remember seeing my grandma in her high heels and her pantyhose and her perfect little dress singing and raising the roof. And all the young people were raising the roof, and we were having fun at church, and we were getting down. And instead of grandma being like, this is just awful, She's just, she's doing the same thing. Like, I guess this is what we're doing now, you know, because it wasn't about her. It was about the people around her. I want us to just think about some research that's been done on how do we reach people from all of these different generations. You can pull that picture back up. Here are the questions. This was a study done by Strauss and Howe in generational theory. The questions that each generation is asking. And, we know, and when we know what the question is that they're asking, then we can kind of know how do we share Jesus with them? How does Jesus fit into the questions that they're asking? So for the traditionalists, they're often asking a question like, what's best? Like, what works? What would be the best thing to happen in this moment? The boomers are asking, what is true? Is this true? The Gen Xers are asking, what is real? They wanted to see something that they want to see something that's real. The millennials or the Gen Y, they're asking, what is good? And Gen Z is saying, what is beautiful? They're looking for beauty around them. The alpha has not yet been defined because they're so young. Uh, but if I were to guess, I would guess that after the last two years, they're probably going to ask questions like, what is safe? Because they've lived a life of kind of a chaotic place where we're very concerned with safety in ways we've never been concerned. They have so much more access to the internet. My daughter's even said to me, I'll say certain things. She's like, mom, I grew up with the internet. I'm like, oh yes, I know. You're so much smarter than me. They can do things on my iPads and whatever that I don't even know what they're doing or how they do it. I also think that they're, they are looking for fun, and I think they're going to be the ones that love is going to be a key. They're looking for real love. And so we need to open our eyes and see how do we share that with these people. As pastors, we get to see a lot of really hard stories and a lot of really intense things. And 
you kind of have this opportunity to be present in the most intense moments of people's lives. We've been in really, 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 really hard, really sad places, being with people in their hardest days. And I can tell you that people hide a lot of things. <laughs> There's things happening in people's lives that you would have no idea because they hide it, they suppress it, and they're truly living without hope. And if that's a family with little ones, those kiddos are living that same reality, living without hope, not understanding that there's a Jesus who loves them and who died for them and wants to bring them real life hope in their day-to-day -day life. There's three opportunities that I really believe are opportunities that obviously every day we can share faith. Every day we can share the good news of Jesus. God will give us the opportunities when we need them. But what we've learned is that there's three different times that are happening in people's day-to-day -day lives where you can really insert the gospel. And it, whether that means you share that Jesus loves them and died for them and that they're a sinner and they need to repent, or you're just bringing something up spiritually, or you're offering to pray for this person and just planting seeds with them, I just want to give you three words to consider. And these are the times where people are most ready of every generation to receive the gospel and the good news. The first is when they're in a time of transition. So if you think about even your own life, if you've moved to a new place, going to college, moving to your first home, changing jobs, becoming an empty nester, a transition of maybe just starting a family, these are times when people are just wide open for good news. They're looking for hope. There's a bit of chaos maybe in their life. And that's a prime opportunity that the Lord has given us to sneak in and just kind of say, if these people don't yet know Jesus, this is a great time and place where maybe they can experience him. The second one is if they're in a time of tension. So raising teenagers, I can tell you, it can be a tense place. <laughs> uh, maybe it's in someone's marriage, and they're looking like things are just hurting. They've been wounded. They've been hurt. This is an opportunity to just say, hey, I think I can help answer that problem, and I can just share the good news of Jesus with that person in that place. And the third one is in a tragedy. Obviously, we can think of tragedies we've experienced. Maybe some of you even found your faith in the middle of a tragedy that's really pretty common for a lot of people. But being aware of when people are in a tragedy, don't turn a blind eye to it, but just reach into that person's life, offer to pray for them, ask them how they're doing. I had a friend once tell me her sister was actually murdered, and it was a pretty intense situation, and she said, nobody talks to me about it. They just look at me, and they make small talk because they don't know what to say. And she's like, I'm telling you something right now, Danielle, if you're going to work with people in the ministry and share Jesus with them, she's like, I'm talking to you, but she's like, all I am thinking about is my sister, and you're acting like it didn't even happen. And she's like, just talk about it. If I don't want to talk about it, I will tell you, but don't be afraid, because she said, literally, the entire world is being filtered through this loss I'm experiencing, and the majority of people don't even mention it, because they're afraid to mention it. So don't be afraid to pray for wisdom and discernment and step into those places. When we look at all these generations, I really think about how do we answer these questions for people? How do we try to take the opportunities given us to answer the questions for the traditionalists, what is best? Maybe for the boomers, what is true? For Gen X, what's real? Millennials, what's good? Gen Z, what's beautiful? And for our little ones, what's safe? And what is real love? And how can they experience Jesus through us? Guys, we are God's plan A to save the world. There's no plan B. We have a job to do. There are people living around us all day, every day, without hope. I hear the stories that my kids tell me about the kids they go to school with and the brokenness that kids are experiencing. We have the good news, and we have this kind of command to go and to share this with all of these people that are around us. 
these little people on the other side of these walls, they're looking for hope. And they're finding it here at this church for sure. And I pray that they would just go out and continue to spread that hope with the people around them. But I really hope that all of us take these opportunities to look at the people of any and every generation, not just the people who are like us, but be aware of people that are experiencing hurt and brokenness and need just to experience the love of Jesus. When I think about myself and I think about just the beauty of a multi-generational church and growing up with just parents and people around me that would pour into me and help me as I grew, I think about at the very beginning of my story, the the very first church I grew up in, my great-grandpa had started it. And he had found Jesus and started a Bible study at his workplace. And like 30-some people were showing up, and he realized, I don't know, I think we need a church. And so he, as a meatpacker, started a church, and that's the church I grew up in. And so my great-grandpa had this legacy of starting a place where people could find and experience Jesus. And then I remember my grandma asked me as probably an 11 or 12-year-old, would you come help me teach the kids about Jesus? And I wasn't even sure what she meant or what I was going to do but I learned so much over the shoulder of my grandma and what I wouldn't do to have that back, you know, and have those opportunities to be a part of her life and watch her as she led me. Then as a teacher myself, beginning to teach kids and recognizing the importance that I've been given a gift and an ability and I have an opportunity to share this with these little people around me. So teaching little kiddos and then eventually talking with teenagers and then eventually kind of starting our own church recognizing all the generations that play into my story and the way that now I get to help play into multiple generations. I love that we have all different groups in here. I think we've got 10 years old, maybe is the youngest, probably my daughter. Up to some of you, I'm going to judge you. I think your grandparents. And so this is a beautiful picture of what the church can be and should be. And I just pray that each of us would begin to be aware of the people around us that we can be used to share the good news of Jesus with, whether they look like us, act like us, and definitely they're not even the same age as us. How do we share the love of Jesus with these people around us? I think that each of us just need to recognize we we do need to humble ourselves like children. Stop pretending or asking if we're going to be the top dog, but approach the people around us with humility and with love. So I want to pray for you. And as I pray, I want you to think about who are the people in your day-to-day life that you know don't have a relationship with Jesus either at all or maybe not like you do, that are living without hope, that are experiencing hurt and brokenness and loss. Maybe they're in the middle of a transition, a tragedy or trial. I just want to pray for those specific people. And I want to challenge you that even in the next three to five days, whether it's texting somebody even right now, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you or just being willing to share with the people in your workplace or your neighbors that you would think of those people right now as we pray and that the Lord would really give you boldness to speak love into their lives. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Center Church, and I thank you that you want the gospel to be the center of this church and the center of our lives, and that you want it to be the center of even our day-to-day lives and the places that we work, and the places that we go to school, in our neighborhood, in our communities, and in our homes, Jesus. I pray that you would allow us to humble ourselves like children and give us boldness to share the good news that you've given us. And Lord, I pray for all the little kiddos on the other side of these two walls and any kiddos that are at home watching online, Lord, I just pray that this generation would rise up, that they would experience a love like they've never experienced before, that you would give them a deep boldness 
to speak your truth and proclaim your truth, Jesus, that this generation that's been in the midst of so much chaos and turmoil and being raised in a completely different environment than many of us were raised in, Lord, that you would become so real to them, that your spirit would lead and guide them, and Lord, that you would give them boldness to lead us as this now generation. They're not just the next generation. They are now, and they are leading us already, and I pray, God, that more and more and more people in this current generation would experience you in such a real way that it would just become so contagious. And Jesus, let us older people not be in the way. Help us to just continue to love them and pour into them and develop them and show them, Jesus, this real love that you've given us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunities for those people we've identified, whether it's even today in these next few moments or the next week, Jesus, to share your love with these people. Give us boldness. Help us to recognize the differences and, Lord, the places where people are hurting and help us to bring your hope and bring your light to our communities and those around us. We pray this in your name. Amen.